Consider this riddle. Some like it cold, while some prefer hot. I'm ground, I'm boiled, I'm tamped and I'm shot. I'm mild or bold, in a cup or a pot. And I'm willing to bet that you like me a lot. As a nation, we're obsessed with coffee. And it seems like it's as American as apple pie or baseball. Which is surprising, considering that the US doesn't even crack the top 10 list of coffee-drinking nations. Whether it's just love or a full-blown caffeine addiction, many of you may start your day by indulging in your favorite Starbucks brew. As you take another hit from your venti, no-foam, half-calf, mocha frappe, consider the evolution of coffee and how, just a few short years ago, coffee was once a weak and watered-down beverage. Which must make you ask, how did Starbucks not only dominate an industry but actually change how Americans think about coffee? To answer that, we have to travel to the rainy city of Seattle and inside the mind of the man who single-handedly created our modern coffee craze. So, top up your mug with your favorite roasts as we tell the tale of how Starbucks and the iconic Green Mermaid changed the world. This video is proudly brought to you by Squarespace. Start your 14-day free trial and build a beautiful website today while saving 10% by using the code BUSINESSCASUAL at checkout. Get started now by going to squarespace.com businesscasual. Our story begins in downtown Seattle in the early 70s when three coffee-obsessed college friends started talking about the idea of starting a business. Of the heavily caffeinated trio, Gordon Boker was obsessed with premium quality coffee, a foreign concept to Americans at the time. Gordon made regular round trips to Vancouver to source better beans than anything he could find at home. And as his reputation grew for muling superior coffee from Canada, his friends and colleagues put in orders of their own. Aha! Here was the eureka moment, the idea they had been looking for. The three could sell high-quality coffee beans to a market that had virtually no alternatives. But lacking the necessary business acumen, they wisely sought the mentorship of someone who was doing exactly what they aimed to achieve. That man was Alfred Peet, an entrepreneur who introduced premium coffee to the States, in essence, becoming the forefather of America's coffee industry. Peet ran a boutique coffee store in Berkeley, California, sourcing high-quality beans and roasting them in his warehouse. Under his mentorship, Boker, Siegel, and Baldwin made valuable connections to high-quality coffee brokers and learned the art of roasting their own Arabica beans. And in 1971, in a small store located near Seattle's famous Pike Place Market, the three founders pulled their money and opened the very first Starbucks, selling coffee, tea, and spices. Popular lore has it that the name came from a character in Moby Dick, Starbuck, but it evolved into the current name from a mining camp on nearby Mount Rainier, Camp Starbo. Over the next decade, the three founders would open another five locations in Seattle, as the name Starbucks became synonymous with quality. Surprisingly, however, you couldn't actually buy a cup of coffee in any Starbucks store. They only sold the beans and the brewing equipment to whip up the java at home. But all that was about to change when a coffee machine salesman walked into one of their stores, Howard Schultz. At the time, 28-year-old Schultz worked for the Swedish-based company Hammerplast, which sold high-end European kitchen appliances to a growing US market. But when he noticed that one of his clients in Seattle was buying more coffee machines than Macy's, he knew that he had to check it out for himself. And after walking into Starbucks for the very first time and being greeted with the aroma of freshly ground coffee as well as a tasty sample of French pressed Sumatra, he realized that he wasn't just in a coffee store. He was home. Upon tasting the sample, 
Schultz remarked that he had never tasted a good cup of coffee until that very moment. Perhaps understandably so, as coffee was widely regarded as weak, cheap, and bland tasting. There was no such thing as dedicated coffee houses, and the coffee you drank at home came freeze-dried in a can. Realizing that he had stumbled upon something remarkable, Schultz lobbied the founders, asking to be hired onto their team. And although it took a year to convince them, Howard Schultz was made the director of sales and marketing for Starbucks in 1982. The following year, the founders sent their new director to a trade show in Milan, Italy. The week-long trip was Schultz's first time in the country and would change his life forever. As he explored the streets of this Italian city, he was taken aback by the number of cafes on each corner and square. Schultz was captivated by the theater of these cafes, with baristas making your coffee in front of you while you relaxed in an atmosphere of community. Here was something unique and special, and Schultz raced back to his bosses in America to tell them all about it. An idea was brewing in Schultz's mind. Maybe Starbucks was in the wrong part of the coffee business. As soon as Schultz returned to Seattle, he pitched the concept of the Italian-inspired cafe to his bosses, but they were unimpressed. Their stores were working, they were growing, and people loved to buy their beans. Why fix something that wasn't broken? But Schultz, a master salesman, ground them down, thoroughly convinced of his idea that the experience was as important as the drink itself. Reluctantly, his bosses gave in and tested the concept with a coffee bar in a new location. And although the Milan-style cafe was a success, Schultz couldn't convince the founders that this was the future of Starbucks. It was a bitter end, and he had given it his best shot. But in 1985, Schultz left Starbucks in defeat. For now, at least. Howard Schultz knew what it meant to work hard and make sacrifices. Growing up in the projects of Brooklyn, New York, he even sold his own blood to get through college. But here was his grand vision, his dream, slipping through his fingers as he turned his back on the Starbucks coffee bean business. Convinced that his idea would work, he opened his own cafe, Il Giannale. At his cafe, Schultz used Starbucks-supplied beans to marry the idea of great coffee with a comfortable atmosphere to drink it, a third place between home and work. But as time passed, Schultz's love for Starbucks didn't diminish. There was something about that green siren that kept calling him back. And, as fate would have it, Starbucks founders began experiencing financial problems two years after acquiring Pete's Coffee in late 1984. Perhaps realizing they'd bitten off more than they could chew, they decided to focus their energies on Pete's Coffee over Starbucks. By 1986, the founders set out to sell off their remaining interests in the Starbucks brand. They couldn't think of anyone else they'd rather see take the helm than their former employee, Howard Schultz. Schultz jumped at the opportunity but when he counted his beans, he was far from being able to afford the $3.8 million price tag that they wanted for the company. After being granted a 60-day exclusivity period to raise the financing, Schultz began his roadshow, seeking out ambitious investors who believed as much as he did in transforming America's coffee culture. But even for Schultz, it would be a difficult pitch. At the time, US coffee consumption had been on the decline for over two decades, as soft drinks rose in popularity. On top of declining coffee consumption, Schultz wanted customers ordering their beverages in a foreign, Starbuckian language, introducing new words to the American vocabulary, like café latte and grande cappuccino. His trip to Italy also helped inspire other ideas, like substituting small, medium, and large for tall, grande, and venti. In his most bold move, Schultz's pitch to investors included a plan to sell his high-quality coffee at the steep price tag of $3 a cup, perhaps prompting some customers to remark, $3? Are you frappa kidding me? 
This was a particularly daring move, considering most Americans only paid 50 cents for a cup of coffee, assuming they drank it at all. But in the summer of 1987, Schultz pulled off the seemingly impossible and successfully raised the $3.8 million that he needed to acquire Starbucks. Upon taking over and merging with Il Giornale, Schultz's daring and robust vision started to take shape. Intuitively, Schultz knew just the way to get coffee back into the mind of America. Expansion Under his visionary leadership, Starbucks hired top-tier managers and pushed to grow into new markets as quickly as possible. Within five years, Starbucks had grown to 140 locations and filed paperwork to go public in 1992. On the day of its IPO, Starbucks priced its shares at $17 apiece, successfully raising $25 million while offering just 12% of the company. The infusion of cash allowed Schultz to accelerate his already rapid expansion, and within just two years of going public, the company's store count had already tripled. By 1996, Starbucks had opened its 1,000th store and debuted its first international location in Japan. Three years later, Starbucks had doubled yet again with a total store count of nearly 2,500. To understand the strategy of Howard Schultz, you have to imagine the buzz around the launch of so many Starbucks. It seemed as if they were popping up on every corner. And perhaps that was precisely the objective, as it prompted onlookers to see what all the fuss was about. While opening new stores at breakneck speed, another key to Schultz's grand strategy was maintaining consistency. If you walked into a Starbucks, whether it was in Tokyo or Seattle, you could expect the same predictable great-tasting coffee served by your familiar green-aproned barista. And as it turns out, this was a recipe for success. After a tough grind for 13 years, Schultz had introduced America to the cafe culture born from his first trip to Italy. Even more impressively, Schultz had successfully changed how Americans think about coffee. When Starbucks initially debuted, many customers complained that their coffee was too strong. But Schultz persisted, eventually convincing America that this was how coffee was supposed to taste. After realizing his vision of bringing high-quality coffee to the masses, Schultz stepped down from his CEO position on June 1, 2000. With the company financially strong and heading in the right direction with over 2,800 stores, Schultz stepped back into a hands-off role while still remaining on the company's board as its chief global strategist. But under new management, the mermaid of Starbucks would get lost at sea as its executives charted a new course towards even faster expansion. From 2000 to 2007, the growth of Starbucks more than quadrupled. And over the course of those seven years, Starbucks added an average of 1,500 stores a year, or over four locations a day. But the company's expansion didn't come without growing pains. On one infamous occasion, Starbucks made the costly mistake of opening a store inside Beijing's 600-year-old Forbidden City. The Chinese media attacked Starbucks, accusing the company of diminishing Chinese culture, going as far as to describe the incident as an invasion at the very heart of China's history. Some even compared the incident to opening a Starbucks inside the White House. Amid protests and demands, Starbucks was forced to close the controversial outlet in 2007. At its peak, Starbucks was growing at the astonishing rate of one new location every four hours. On the surface, things never looked better for the coffee company, as Wall Street rewarded Starbucks for its year-over-year -year record revenues and profits. But as it turns out, all that hyper-growth was masking an insidious problem, which was quietly eroding the company's very foundation. And as management pushed onward, disaster soon followed. As the new executives were about to learn, adding more water to a coffee makes it bigger 
but it doesn't make it better. And although the company's top and bottom line figures were increasing, its same-store sales were slowing, as Starbucks cannibalized its own market share with oversaturation. But worst of all, management had been cutting corners for years, prioritizing profits over product quality and customer experience, sacrificing the core values that Howard Schultz had instituted. Gone were the days when baristas manually pressed coffee, as management opted instead for fully automatic espresso machines to pump out lattes like an assembly line. And as drive throughs replaced the feeling of community, it seemed as if Starbucks had lost her soul. During this time of rapid growth, Starbucks's stock price had tripled, helped by the booming economy of the time. But the global financial crisis of 08 was not kind to the coffee chain. As consumers lost their jobs and saw their 401ks halved, wallets began to tighten, and suddenly the luxury of an $8 drink no longer made sense. In a leaked memo, Schultz complained to Starbucks senior management that they had removed the romance and theater that was essential to their brand. Bagged coffee removed the distinct aroma when you walked in. Automatic machines saved time but sacrificed experience. And what now seems like deja brew, the company turned to Howard Schultz to save the day. With the company's stock price tanking, Howard Schultz returned as the CEO of Starbucks on January 8, 2008. His first tasks included firing top executives, shuttering hundreds of stores, and restoring the company to its founding principles of product quality and customer experience. To show the public that Starbucks was serious about its returning to quality, Schultz closed every American store for an entire afternoon on February 26, 2008. And for three hours, baristas were retrained on how to craft their signature drinks. It's estimated this move cost Starbucks $6 million in sales, but in the eyes of Schultz, it was essential for returning Starbucks to her former glory. The new CEO also brought back the fresh ground coffee beans and the original Lamazoco manual espresso machines, restoring the romance and spectacle of watching baristas make your coffee. With amazing foresight, Starbucks also hired its first chief technical officer and launched the Starbucks loyalty card. The new focus on digital eventually paved the way for Starbucks to release its own app, which is now responsible for a remarkable 30% of the company's total sales. Under Schultz's new direction for the second time, Starbucks thrived, with its stock price climbing almost 1600% in nine years. With quality back on track, Schultz resumed the company's expansion. One of their key target markets was China, a country where they now open a store every 15 hours. In December of 2016, confident that Starbucks' founding principles were now permanently ingrained in the company's culture, Howard Schultz resigned again as CEO, leaving the reins to then-Starbucks chief operating officer Kevin Johnson. Under Schultz's vision and guidance, Starbucks has grown from a small retail outlet for brewing equipment and beans to a multinational $100 billion behemoth. But most inspiring of all, Starbucks has stayed true to a philosophy of corporate social responsibility, a belief that profits should always come second to people. It's a philosophy born out of Schultz's own struggles, which he endured growing up in the projects of Brooklyn, New York. Schultz was deeply affected on one particular occasion when he was seven, returning home to find his father lying down on a couch with his leg in a cast. Earlier that day, his dad had been fired from his job as a delivery truck driver after breaking his hip and ankle at work. With his dad as the breadwinner of the family, it was devastating for the young Howard Schultz. Howard later remarked that he set out to build the company that his father never had the chance to work for. Ultimately, he stayed true to that promise. Today, Starbucks pays more in healthcare costs than it does for coffee beans in its North American stores. 
In pursuit of building an honorable company, Schultz also wanted to create a place where employees felt like family, so Schultz doesn't call his baristas employees, but rather partners. Impressively, Starbucks also covers college tuition for its partners, while also providing stock options for every individual, including its baristas, of course. Staying true to that social responsibility and the values of customer service, quality, and a better experience has taken Starbucks from darker times to where it stands today. We hope that the story of Starbucks inspires you to stay true to what matters most in the face of opposition and those voices that would tell you otherwise. Before we wrap up this video, we want to give a special thank you to the sponsor of today's episode, Squarespace. Using Squarespace, we created a beautiful website specifically for this video, which you can check out by going to bc.coffee. On the site, you can learn even more about how Starbucks grew from its humble Seattle roots to the global coffee giant that it is today. So be sure to check it out. And if you like what you see, you can create your own website with Squarespace. Start your 14-day free trial while saving 10% on your subscription by going to squarespace.com slash businesscasual and using the promo code businesscasual at checkout. And lastly, but not least, today's giveaway. In this episode, we'll be giving away a signed copy of Howard Schultz's memoir, Onward, to one lucky business casual fan and business casual merchandise to 10 other lucky fans. To enter the giveaway, simply follow us on Instagram at businesscasual.io and like the post which is linked in the video description below. And thank you for watching. If you enjoyed, click the like button and subscribe for more videos just like this. And if you want to be notified of new uploads as soon as they go live, click the bell icon and then the all option from the drop-down menu as seen on screen. And until next time, stay smart.